The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Hey, welcome along. It is 11 a.m. North American Eastern Time on July the 21st. 2021, and that means it's midday in the Canadian Maritimes, half past midday in Newfoundland and Labrador, 4 p.m. in London and Dublin, 5 p.m. in Paris and Berlin, 6 p.m. in Jerusalem and Constantinople. Uh, And if you're wondering why I'm saying Constantinople, well, it's 7 p.m. in the Trucial States. We're going back to real names uh, here on The Mark Stein Show. Wonderful to be with you. This is one of our... Um, it's, 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 the, it's the sort of COVID double mutation that you can only get in the most lavishly US-funded Chinese gain-of-function labs. We've taken, we've taken our Clubland Q&A format. That is basically a coronavirus that's originated in bats. And then we've taken all the money that uh, Dr. Fauci has given us and we performed a mutation uh, to merge it with the Mark Stein show, which is the equivalent of human transmission of the coronavirus. So we're mutating the Clubland Q&A, making it transmissible through the Mark Stein show, and this will kill millions around the planet, thanks to the lavish gain-of-function funding uh, that we enjoy here. I'm going to be with Tucker tonight, uh, Wednesday, live across America on Fox News, and I hope you'll tune in for that. It is not my final Tucker appearance of the week. Uh, A bit of a busy week on the televisual front, so make the most of me not being in your face <clears throat> for the next uh, hour. That, that, I think that's the double mutation. I'm already coming down with a slight cough. Um, so we'll, uh, we're going to take some of your questions. We're going to do a few Mark Stein Show features. And it all starts right now with Robert Morell or Morrell. Uh, let's, I'm not sure how he says it, but perhaps I'll go with Morell. Robert Morell says, Hi, Mark. For some time, I've had the feeling that we are living in a bad Kurt Vonnegut novel. Or is that redundant? But hearing Tucker's segment mentioning the idea of engineering children to be smaller finally provoked me to buy a copy of Slapstick. That's a uh, Vonnegut novel from uh, the mid-70s. And check if my memory of a book I read nearly 50 years ago was right and that much of this had been foretold. Sure enough, there it all, all is. The Chinese first copying our technology and then surpassing us which is what's happened. Chinese experiments in in miniaturizing their people in order to address their overpopulation problem, uh, which we're now talking about. And most absurd of all, the devastation of the US population by an epidemic caused by the Chinese. Uh, In the final pages of the book, it is revealed that the epidemic is caused by the inhalation of Chinese people miniaturized to microscopic dimensions. Chinese flu indeed. What does it say about our present condition that Kurt Vonnegut turned out to be a prescient writer? Have we reached peak insanity when the Daily News sounds like the summary on the back of a Vonnegut novel? That's a very interesting question, Robert. And no, we haven't. And the, you know, 
This is the reason we do uh, things like Tales for Our Time, uh, because a good novelist is free to think about things more expansively than, say, a mere political commentator is. So Vonnegut has... So if you compare with what Vonnegut was writing in whatever it was, 1976, I'm going by memory here, so don't. if I'm off by a year or two, don't berate me. I'm, I haven't... Uh, what do they do now? I haven't Googled it. Uh, anyway, uh, if, if you go back to what Vonnegut was saying in 1976 compared to what any politician was saying in 1976, let's just start with Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter and go down from there, which sounds difficult but isn't... Um, it's what Vonnegut said in 1976 that is relevant and nothing that uh, Gerald Ford or Jimmy Carter said. And what, what is interesting to me about that Vonnegut novel, which, again, I'm like you, Robert. Uh, I haven't read it in many, many decades. But my memory of it is very clear that it's made... The slapstick comes... I think he says it somewhere or other. It comes from his affection for Laurel and Hardy. There's a tragic, to really good slapstick, there is a really, there's always a tragic quality, as there is with Laurel and Hardy. And, um, and the book is really about loneliness and how to recover social relationships. Um, and if I recall correctly, they use the middle name. They give everybody a middle name, a two-part middle name, I think one part is a name and the other part is a number. One one part is a thing, isn't it? Uh, so it's like, uh, you know, whatever it is, figgy pudding. And then there's a number. And I think the figgy pudding bit means if you share the figgy pudding bit, you're cousins, and if you share the number, you're siblings or something. It's something like that. To, to uh, compensate for atomized families. Well, now we have super atomized families since then and we have we have a society designed around social isolation thanks to the fact that the telephone uh, has become people's principal means of communicating with each other so that even and you can go into any coffee shop in <clears throat> on in the western world and see this so that even when people actually meet up if you see two people sitting at a table they're still scrolling their telephones the telephones are, are still out uh, and nobody uses the telephone for telephoning. They use it for everything but telephoning. Um, and that, again, that's the main theme of Vonnegut's book, um, this, this uh, social isolation, this social distancing. Most interesting phrase, social distancing. Because the thing is, if people don't uh, communicate only electronically, if they communicate only through the smartphone. In fact, if the smartphone becomes their family, so you're closer to some guy on the other side of the world who shares your view of uh, Tucker Carlson uh, than you are to many members of your own family or your own neighbours, uh, you become pretty ripe for all kinds of things. Again, it's it's not something Vonnegut is unique to. It's not it's something Orwell talked about too. But that if you live in if you if you are socially isolated, uh, and in fact if you're living through your telephone, then what matters is what 
what content is being pumped into your telephone, and that content is being controlled by a smaller and smaller number of people, uh, which is uh, which is the world we live in. Uh, and the pandemic has increased that because they've actually made it illegal in many parts of the world for you to go out and interact personally with people. So that social distancing, who benefits? Let's take social distancing. Now, there's this turns out to have been invented by, I think it was some German scientist mentioned it en passant 125 years ago. Uh, and, and, so, and so then it was uh, enforced upon the planet uh, last year that you have to keep uh, three feet apart, six feet apart, whatever. There's no scientific basis for that. Um, but on the other hand, there is, if you want to control people, then social distancing as a concept is most useful. Uh, confounding father, possibly not his real name, confounding father writes, Mark, 2022-2024 litmus test. For non-Americans, these are the pre-scheduled US election dates. Um, it's, it doesn't work. Uh, one of the things that's boring about it is that, for example, the day after the 2022 midterms, uh, we're going to have to start talking about the 2024 election. It would be po pointless. <clears throat> it would be boring even if the election weren't going to be stolen by the corrupt election processes uh, that are tolerated in the United States and nowhere else in the functioning parts of the planet. It would be boring because it means we have two years of... Uh, uh, John Kasich doing his I'm proud to say I was the son of a mailman ads and we have uh, uh, we have Marco Rubio calling for a second American century and uh, we we have some other and whoever's going to be running this time we have some other soft focus ads about who they are and where they come from and we never talk about any policy unless there's a guy uh, unless there's Trump or the new Trump or whoever it is comes down an escalator somewhere and starts talking about Mexico not sending us our best. And that's the point at which suddenly in 2015 policy was introduced to the interminable two-year election campaign, which otherwise is John Kasich, you know, uh, the only man who could ever reach me was the son of a mailman. Oh, these stupid, I can't stand them. Personality ads for non-personalities. Mrs. Thatcher's line, you know, first you win the argument, then you win the election. If you never have an argument, if you never talk about policy, if you just switch on the TV and there's John Kasich, a Lehman brother, who caused the collapse of the global economy because he's a Lehman brother, going on about how he was the son of a mailman, that all begins again. November, whatever it is, November the 4th, 2022. I'm so looking forward to that. Anyway, I haven't, I'm only three words into confounding father's uh, <laughs> uh, email. He goes, Mark, 2022-2024 litmus test. Has the candidate said and done right by those patriots in the D.C. gulag <clears throat> under solitary confinement? And have they been vocal about the left stealing the vote? Do you agree? Seems like the Republicans are only the managed opposition allowed for show <clears throat> in tin pot dictatorships. Um, I was talking about this with uh, with Tucker uh, the other night. I think in the break uh, during the show, uh, we were just chit chatting about this. That I was saying, I'm basically I'm basically a cultural conservative. People. 
you know, say, why don't you talk about conservative politicians more? Well, usually because they're several stages behind where I would like them to be. So the important point is to talk about things and force the buggers to catch up, uh, which is difficult particularly with the Republican Party. And, uh, and there are a few, you know, people who say things. I think, oh, that's, I'm glad he said that. Like uh, Rand Paul, for example. I don't agree with Rand Paul on everything, but Rand Paul is always, like, trying to move the ball to where public discourse should be. Then you have ones who are just completely useless that you're supposed to put up with, like Susan Collins, just because she's the only one with an R after her name that can get elected in Maine, supposedly. Well, if you never, you know, if you never try it, you'll never find out whether that's uh, true or not. Now, I agree with Confounding Father up to a point. Has the candidate said and done right by those patriots in the D.C. gulag under solitary confinement? Now, I don't know, you know, whether they're patriots, and I don't want to ideologize the whole thing because I think that becomes self-defeating. They're, they're essentially law-abiding people with no criminal records who are being treated worse than the worst of the worst who were rampaging on the streets of Democrat cities uh, through through the last uh, summer and continue to do so in certain circumstances today. There are people who, as I've said, because of the dirty stinking, and this is why I don't want, you know, to complicate it by saying, oh, those patriots in the gulag. It doesn't matter whether they're patriots. It doesn't matter whether they're nincompoops. It doesn't matter if they're perfectly respectable, rather boring accountants. The fact is none of them should have been in solitary confinement. None of them should be having... Uh, uh, trial dates pushed off into next year by corrupt judges in alliance with the most corrupt prosecutors in the common law world. Uh, none of them should be having to undergo that just because they uh, engaged in a bit of mass trespassing into something that the usual bollocksing uh, mythology uh, of, uh, of, um, uh, of, of pseudo-democracy calls the people's house. Oh, the people's house. Oh, that sounds like a house the people can go in. Oh, not so fast. You're looking at uh, 18 months in prison. It's disgusting. It's nothing to do with patriots. It's to do with the fact that we now have a politicised justice system with no uh, 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 equality before the law. The dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt justice system uh, presided over by a dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt Department of Justice and a dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt FBI that I'm tired of listening to the Butch Boys on the right, the guys who use the hard rock theme music and then pussy out by going, oh, I love most of the, most of the FBI are just uh, salt of the earth, hard working types and it's just a few uh, bad apples at the top of the thing. That's complete crap. What is it we've just learned today? There was an FBI story today. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, this plot, uh, supposedly, to uh, kidnap Governor Whitmer in uh, Michigan, the, kid, the so-called kidnapping plot. Um, and, it's, uh, and it turns out that the kidnapping plot... Uh, it was actually basically initiated and run by the FBI from top to bottom. It's a, it's, it's, if you're defending the FBI, you're not any kind of conservative. You're not any kind of right-winger. You're a sap. You're a rube. 
and you ought to stop doing it. It's pathetic. Um, and uh, and that's just in that's just in uh, that's just in the news this this morning. So so the 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 basic question here is: you have a politicized justice system that's all about power. It protects and advances the power of one side and diminishes the power of the other. Uh, the plea bargain system, which I attacked over a decade ago as fundamentally corrupting is now uh, you take people who've never been in trouble with the law, uh, like a 63-year-old guy who's uh, just uh, approaching retirement, he's an accountant, and you, you stick him in solitary confinement and tell him that the judge hasn't set a trial date yet, but it's likely to be sometime next year, and then you lean on him to plead to something. It's a toilet. It's a toilet. Federal so-called justice. No country in the world should extradite uh, to the dirty, stinking, corrupt US federal justice system. And don't give me, don't wave that constitution at me because the founding fathers would agree on that. This is nothing they would have been interested in. Larry Davis writes, <laughs> Hi, Mark. Given Biden now has full-blown senile dementia, uh, Larry, where have you been? He's capable of picking out an ice cream every other day for what uh, is now the the uh, daily ice cream photo op. Uh, have you ever read Mark Twain? What is it? A, uh, a, a Connecticut Yankee at the court of King Arthur in which a Connecticut Yankee uh, travels back in time and finds himself at King Arthur's court. And he's amazed by the press there because the only newspaper is the court circular. And it says, on Monday, the king rode in the park. On Tuesday, the king rode in the park. On Wednesday, the king rode in the park. That's what we're living under. Uh, on Monday, Joe Biden bought an ice cream. On Tuesday, Joe Biden bought an ice cream. On Wednesday, Joe Biden bought an ice cream. Do you know something? America has more ice cream flavors than anywhere on the planet. Now, most of them are disasters. Once you get, oh, we'll take moose tracks and we'll merge it with cookie dough uh, to create cookie dough moose tracks. And then we'll uh, do the Ben and Jerry's thing where we can't make ice cream, so we'll throw more and more chunks in. Uh, my, uh, my joke about... Uh, I think Snurdly put this up. Snurdly and Kit Carson put this up. When, on the day gay marriage was legalised in Vermont and uh, Ben and Jerry celebrated with hubby hubby instead of chubby hubby. Um, and as I said on the way, if you're wondering what's in uh, hubby hubby, it's uh, two bananas and twice the nuts. And um, that, uh, but you don't get any, <clears throat> you don't get any of that from Joe Biden. Joe Biden, when he chooses an ice cream, he chooses vanilla or chocolate, or that blend, you know, when they've got the third button on the soft serve machine and you press it and a little bit of half comes out in there and, half, and it all blends in an attractive swirl. Uh, he, can't, he can't order the moose tracks. <clears throat> he can't order the chubby hubby. He can't, he can't order the chocolate chip cookie dough. So he can't even do... He thought the ice cream ordering is boring just in I if you even if you say let's forget about the chi China let's forget about the delta variant let's forget about Putin just in ice cream terms it's boring <laughs> anyway uh, Larry Davis says uh, 
who, in your opinion, given that, who, in your opinion, comprises the central committee which is running our country? I become almost obsessive about this. It won't change anything, but I just have this need to know. Well, you know, in a satirical novel, it would be actually the ice cream manufacturers. They'd all got together, the US Ice Cream Manufacturing Association, and they said, how can we promote ice cream? I know we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get some guy who's got no marbles. He just likes soft-serve ice cream in predictable flavours, and we'll get him... Uh, We'll, we'll get him into the White House so that the press corps has to talk about ice cream all... Oh, it's amazing. Look at all... Here's Joe Biden. He, you know, he ordered an ice cream in Virginia, but now he's demonstrating he can order an ice cream in Idaho. It's fantastic. Um, let, me, let me put it this... Let me put it this way um, on, on, on that, Larry. What was fascinating to me about those Fauci emails is that in the public health bureaucracy, you know, people expect the FBI, if you're going to uh, corrupt an agency, you do it with something like the FBI or the CIA, where it's all the spooks who are all like thinking in terms of double agents, triple agents, quadruple agents all the time. It's, used, it's relatively easy to head fake them. What's interesting about uh, the Fauci emails is that they reveal how corrupted something like public health, which isn't something people thought about in partisan terms, uh, until uh, the Chicom 19 uh, came along. And all those guys, they assume that China has won. Fauci assumes China has won. The, if you take the bedrock premise of all Fauci's emails, it's that you stay on the right side of the chai comms on this thing, even though you're working for the United States government. So one has to assume that there are all kinds of uh, bureaucracies you don't particularly think about, fish and game and whatever, uh, that are also in which that kind of groupthink has also happened. Now, then you have, uh, and I'm not... Um, I don't want to overstate or get too conspiratorial, but it is interesting to me that the first thing that happened with the Chicom lockdown is that they all started doing, uh, all the Davos crowd immediately being, began planning for the Great Reset. In other words, the opportunities that, that 2020 afforded. Now, a dead husk like Biden, who doesn't really, for a start, he's at the end of his life, one way or the other. I mean, I don't know, he could live and might be like the Queen and live another uh, 20 years, but it, it's pretty sure, it, it's pretty clear his head's already checked out. So if he lives another 20 years, it'll be in some kind of facility. Um, and uh, the, therefore, he was the perfect sock puppet. Now, then you have the crude power calculations of the Democrat Party. You're all about power. It's the only reason they're still here, despite being the most racist, most slaving institution on the planet uh, for, for the last 200 years. And most parties, like the National Party in South Africa, would not have survived that. They would have been forced to liquidate or rename themselves. The Democrats survived that because they're all about power. So the open borders thing, which is just a pretty simple calculation, uh, if, you let, if, you, if, if you're letting in two million people a year on the southern border, then it becomes pretty easy to tip Texas. 
And once you've tipped Texas, there isn't a Republican Party in the national sense. They'll never win anything again. So it's this combination between the Great Reset, the uh, Great Reset crowd, between the uh, hardcore Democrat power brokers, uh, and then again, uh, as I said, a large number of people who basically concluded America. Now these people don't necessarily agree on everything. There's people who have concluded that America is over. There's people who uh, believe that the old America is evil and you need to replace it with a new America. And then there's people who don't really care about that. They're just about power. Whether we will ever learn their names, I don't, I don't really know. It is 25 past the hour on this strange new version of the Mark Stein Show, combined with our Clubland uh, Q&A. 25 past the hour. We'll be giving uh, traffic updates on the Gardner Expressway in Toronto, which I haven't done for many years. Might even do the Champlain Bridge in Montreal. That's, that's the fun of uh, live broadcasting. You get to do, uh, you get to all, do all the traffic uh, updates. It's 25 past the hour, and we will be back with more of your questions imminently. Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. The short lives of interior ministers riding off into a fiery sunset and the brutal fall when you hit the heights. It's July 1921. A hundred years from today. Your World News update, the messy aftermath of the Great War continues. France has declined a British request for an immediate conference on the Silesian boundary between Germany and Poland. Instead, Paris prefers to settle the question by force and will be sending more troops to the region. In the Black Sea, the Soviet ship Sawa was attempting to join the white Russian side of the current civil war. The submarine Trotsky shelled it and sunk it. Most of the crew were killed, but four survivors were pulled out of the water and have been imprisoned. Why, there's a change in the weather. There's a change in the sea. But from now on, change in the weather and a change in the sea and there'll be some changes made to the map of the world in China. Cantonese troops under the command of former President Sun Yat-sen, head of what he calls the extraordinary government of China, have reported victory in their war in the provinces of Guangxi and Guangdong. Need any more New republics? In northern Albania, the clan chief, Marka Gioni, has proclaimed the Republic of Merdita. It's not clear whether there are any takers for it. 
Following the recent attempt to murder the Prince Regent, the Internal Affairs Minister of the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats and Slovenes has now been assassinated. Milorad Draskovic was killed by a member of the Yugoslav Communist Party. And another assassination of another Internal Affairs Minister, this time of the Azerbaijan Democratic Republic. Behbud Khan was visiting Constantinople when he was shot outside the Pera Palace Hotel, once in the face, twice in the chest, all bullets coming from the Mauser pistol of Mizak Torlakian, an Armenian outraged by the Azerbaijani ministry's treatment of Armenians there. Whatever it did for relations between London and Tokyo, the Anglo-Japanese alliance of 1902 has latterly caused strains within the British dominions due to differences between Canada and Australia on the place of Japan in world affairs. In the course of this month's imperial conference, the Anglo-Japanese alliance has expired and will test no longer imperial unity. Following two hours of talks in London between Prime Minister Lloyd George and Irish Republican leader Eamon de Valera, and Mr Lloyd George's subsequent meeting with the King, the British Cabinet has voted to approve a plan that would give Ireland Dominion status equivalent to Canada, with an Irish government exercising full control over domestic affairs and only defence and foreign relations being reserved to Westminster. Keep moving, says the song. Keep moving those troops. There's a lot of money in it. The government of the United States has paid His Majesty's government in London $32,688,352 for British expenses incurred in the transportation of American soldiers during the recent World War. Also in the United States, last year a factory paymaster and a security guard in Massachusetts were shot and killed during a robbery of $15,776.17 in cash. The Italian anarchists Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti were arrested and charged, and a jury in Dedham has now found them guilty of murder. The governor and the lieutenant governor of Illinois, Len Small and Fred E. Sterling, have been indicted by a grand jury on charges of embezzling public funds and conspiracy to defraud the state. Mrs. Small and Sterling have both previously served as Illinois' state treasurer. The last horse-drawn fire engine in a major U.S. city has been put out of service 
Engine Company 24 of the Los Angeles Fire Department retired both engine and horse as the city has moved to an all-motorized fire service. The World War is over, but the US military under General Billy Mitchell has spent July bombing and torpedoing enemy ships. Don't worry, these are German Navy vessels surrendered to America at the end of the war. Off the coast of Cape Henry, Virginia, army planes have sunk the Kaiser's SMS G-102. The destroyer USS Herbert and the dreadnought USS Delaware have sunk SMS S-132. The Florida has sunk the torpedo boat V-43. And in the final attack on a retired German warship, 15 pilots from the US Army, Navy and Marines bombarded the largest of the ships surrendered to America as part of Germany's war reparations, the dreadnought SMS Ostfriesland. Somewhat embarrassingly, given the presence of the War and Navy Secretaries, General Pershing and other eminences, only 13 of the 52 bombs even hit the Ostfriesland, and only four of those 13 bombs actually exploded without sinking the ship. In inter-allied naval action east of Fire Island, New York, the American schooner E. Marie Brown was accidentally rammed and sunk by the British ship Harmodius. Four of the American crew are dead. Tiger, but the Tiger Stadium can't hold Babe Ruth. Playing the Detroit Tigers, the New York Yankees star player managed to hit the longest home run in baseball history. It cleared the roof of Tiger Stadium to land in the street 560 feet away. This record came just days after a losing game against the St. Louis Browns, in which nevertheless, Babe Ruth set a new record for career home runs, first tying and then beating Roger Connors' total of 136. In Paris, a new vaccine for tuberculosis, the Bacillus Calmet-Guerin vaccine, has been administered to a patient for the first time. The first radio broadcast in Sweden has been made. It was transmitted from the city of Boden, but the signal could be heard in Stockholm.
just wild about Harry, Harry Hawker, the Australian aviator and aircraft designer, chief test pilot for Sopwith, and co-founder of his own firm, Hawker. Practicing for this year's aerial derby, he took off from Hendon Aerodrome near London in his Newport Nighthawk. It crashed shortly thereafter in a park at Burnt Oak, and Harry Hawker is dead at 32. Arthur Irwin was born in Canada, but became famous in American baseball, not just as a shortstop and a manager, but as the man who gave the sport the now universal fielder's glove. After breaking the third and fourth fingers of his left hand, he modified a driving glove, and by the following season, almost every player was using the so-called Irwin glove. Shortly after being discharged from a New York hospital where he was being treated for cancer, Mr. Irwin boarded a passenger steamer for Boston and jumped overboard. He is dead at 63 and leaves, somewhat perplexingly, two widows, one in New York, one in Boston. Winthrop Stone was the president of Purdue University and the man who made the first successful ascent of Eon Mountain, just shy of 11,000 feet in the Canadian Rockies. At the moment of his triumph, he unroped at the summit, slipped on a loose stone and fell to his death. Winthrop Stone was 59. And that's the way of the world, July 1921. A hundred years from today This is Mark Stein on Stein Song of the Week this Sunday, a standard for the post-standard generation. It had been around forever, but it took four decades for it to find its perfect iteration. We'll hear its story from Michigan to Nova Scotia, the London Palladium to an elevator shaft in Mexico City. All that and Robert Mitchum. Stein's Song of the Week, Sunday at 5.30 on Serenade Radio. And that, of course, is 5.30 BST. Uh, what does that sound for again? Bovine spongiform time? No, it's British summertime. Uh, and that's 5.30 London time, which makes it uh, lunchtime uh, on the east coast of North America. Uh, it's kind of Sunday brunchy vibe if you're on the west coast. It's, uh, it's 9.30. If you missed... Uh, last weekend's Song of the Week, you can hear it repeated on Serenade Radio uh, tomorrow. That's Thursday, 9 p.m. UK time. That's uh, 4 p.m. in New York. And uh, what, are, what, what are we? Is that like uh, uh, breakfast time in Sydney? Uh, so it's kind of not a bad way to wake up. Um, and you can hear it from anywhere on the planet just by going to serenade-radio.com and clicking on uh, the button in the top right-hand corner. And I do hope you'll join me for that. It's a combined Clubland Q&A and Mark Stein show. Uh, we've put them together in the lab. We got some gain-of-function money from Fauci. And uh, so we uh, put them in a couple of Bunsen burners, heated them, merged them, and the result is this unwieldy behemoth that staggers towards you 
uh, as a combined Mark Stein show, Clubland Q&A. 20 to the hour. We are live. We are live. It's 20 to the hour. I can prove it by holding up a newspaper, except nobody has newspapers to hold up any day. Jack Morris says, Hi, Mark. What do you think about Rand Paul's grilling of Dr. Fauci? Well, I was interested to see that uh, on the cable networks, on MSNBC and whatnot, they seem to think that Fauci had the better of it by accusing Rand Paul of being a liar. I don't think, I don't think that's the case. Um... Here we have, you know, in the end, here's what we know. If you read Fauci's emails and compare them in January, February, and compare them to Fauci's public statements, they don't line up. And Fauci's statements are all about covering his uh, posterior because of this, because of this. Now, gain of function is one of those terms uh, that we 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 need to say a lot so that people get uh, used to the idea of it because it's like a classic uh, term that doesn't instantly tell you uh, what it is that you're talking about, like collateral damage and this kind of those kind of terms. So what gain of function means is that uh, they're trying they're supposedly trying to get ahead of the coronavirus. They know coronavirus is prevalent in bats, right? Um, So they're thinking, well, well, okay, what if it got out of the bat cave and uh, spread to humans? So gain of function is about experimenting to see what you need to do to make that happen. Uh, So it's risky. It's risky. You're doing something that you really don't want to do Um, because if it does escape the lab, you're in a huge amount of trouble. And we've all actually seen this because it's in the Planet of the Apes movies, right? And instead of calling it Planet of the Apes, uh, when they rebooted or whatever they call the thing, uh, that's what they're all doing. Oh, we're doing these experiments to see what if we were to teach apes how to function like human beings. Uh, And then it was a long holiday weekend, and I came back, and uh, the ape wasn't in the cage anymore and I'm trying to figure out where he's gone right that's that's so if we actually if Hollywood this is quite an interesting thing if they'd actually made Planet of the Bats uh, showing how you know they're experimenting see how we got these bat diseases and we can make them go to humans that might have been a, a more interesting take but here's the thing even in a Hollywood movie Right. They're doing these experiments, these gain of function type things. They're doing them in San Francisco or they're doing them in Seattle. When you say, "Okay, we're going to do a highly dangerous, uh, perform some highly dangerous gain of function experiments. In which we're going to try and get ahead of the doomsday scenario in which a coronavirus present in bats escapes to humans. We're going to actually see what you need to do to make it infect humans um, so we can get ahead of this. OK, where should we do that? Hmm, let me see. Uh, should, should, we, uh, should we do that in uh, San Diego? Hmm. Uh, should we uh, should should we do that in Frankfurt? Hmm. 
Should we do that in Sydney? No, I think we. I think the place to do this is Wuhan. So you do it in a country where the science is controlled by the Communist Party and which has a track record of exporting, of lying to the world about uh, coronavirus, explicitly lying not just about, you know, mumps, uh, not lying about tuberculosis, but actually lying about the particular disease you're studying. Uh, and, and you decide, oh, yes, I think Wuhan would be the place to do it because the great thing about doing it in Wuhan is it's like my friend the Batwoman there. Uh, the great thing about her is that if uh, anything goes wrong, she's going to give us a heads up about it. And even if she misses it, she's out of the office that week and doesn't give us a heads up about it, then uh, Chairman Xi and the Politburo are sure to give us a heads up about it. This is what happened. And this is what Rand Paul, uh, when you take away the evil China suck-uppery of MSNBC and CNN and their promotion of Fauci, a liar, a hack, a guy who hasn't seen a patient since 1967, the J. Edgar Hoover of public health, a guy who uh, basically from his emails is uh, if he ever does retire, what is he now, 80-something? If he, if he serves another 20 years and retires at 104, he's thinking of becoming uh, some confidant to the Chinese Politburo. Although if he does retire at 104, the, the Chinese Politburo will have a branch office in Monica's old anteroom just off the Oval Office by then. So this is, all, this is, what, this is what Rand Paul brought out. You American taxpayers, you the American taxpayer, are funding the world's most dangerous uh, research in the world's most insecure lab. This happened. This happened. And Rand Paul, I thought, brought that out. Obviously, we need to keep saying it, but this is the thing. There is no reason why. Uh, this research needs to happen. I mean, if it is gain-of-function research that has crippled the planet permanently, or at any rate, crippled the Western world permanently, because uh, Wuhan is party town central. If you want babes in bikinis and uh, you want to be dancing surrounded by bikini babes to techno music till four in the morning, non-social distance... Uh, Wuhan is the place to go. Everywhere else is is crippled. Oh yes, we came out a bit. Oh, we came out a bit of lockdown, but now we're going back in. Oh, the Delta variant, the Delta variant. Uh, that's the gain of function research. This wouldn't have happened had the American taxpayer not uh, uh, not funded the crazy bat ladies' uh, research in an insecure lab. Uh, most of whose laboratories don't meet the standards for this kind of research. Rand Paul's brought all, all that out. We need to keep saying it. Basically, uh, at some point, you know, the Chinese are going to use it against America. At some point, Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron will get sick of this rubbish. And they'll. it's much easier in geopolitical terms to blame it on Washington than to blame it on Beijing 
And they wouldn't be wrong to wouldn't be wrong. Oh yes, uh, yes. Uh, uh, the child uh, Macron. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's terrible what this American fund. We need to, the American uh, money no object approach. We borrow money from the Chinese to give it back to them for gain of function research into how to kill millions of people across the planet. Rand Paul, where are the, you know, we were talking about what we want from Republicans and uh, and we were saying earlier about how actually standing up for people who have been in solitary confinement since January 6th. And the wanker right, which is a big percentage of uh, the so-called conservative uh, movement, the wanker right uh, decided around about 20 minutes after that thing started on January the 6th that they were, oh, this is, I, I absolutely deplore this assault on our democracy. So they basically handed the left its narrative uh, and that how that's worked out now. And that's why they these, frankly, pathetic creatures uh, can't even stand up for people who have been treated as they would not be treated in any civilised justice system, held in solitary confinement because you walk around uh, in your national legislature in a goofy T-shirt and, uh, and make America great again hat, and that is grounds for solitary confinement. It, it, it's, I'm getting a little off uh, subject here, but the pathetic Republicans who won't say a word about that Pathetic Republicans are pathetic on everything unless it's doing the bidding of the uh, Chamber of Commerce right and the Koch brothers right. So Rand Paul is doing what an awful lot more Republicans should be doing to Dr Fauci. Because, again, at the heart, it's this. Millions of people... Had the, 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 the emerging facts are this... The public health establishment of the United States, it's basically the equivalent of rendition, you know, that people used to complain about during the, um, during the uh, early years of the war on terror, that you'd take the prisoners to some bleephole country, as Trump would say, and you'd get them there and you could waterboard them and do all this other stuff, clamp the electrodes to them that you couldn't do in the United States. So we now have the public health equivalent of rendition, where, uh, where uh, Fauci is offshoring uh, things that he doesn't particularly want to do in the United States. Now, uh, he's offshored them to a place to an insecure lab that does not meet international standards. And then the minute this happens, if you read his emails, he's telling this guy, what's he called? Uh, I don't know whether he pronounces it the same way. Oshinloss, uh, Aukinloss. I don't know how he uh, does it, whether he does it as the, uh, uh, as the British general did. But, the, but he, he says to this guy, he says, we need, uh, you need to be on standby right now because there are certain things we need to do today. What they did uh, uh, it is not known, but the fact is that Fauci's initial reaction is not about the pandemic. It's about messaging, and in particular, messaging that protects the Chinese and that uh, doesn't reveal that, in fact, this is his little project that has leaked from the lab. You know, we're talking about a man who is now America's doctor, like they used to say about Giuliani after 9-11, America's mayor. You know, so this is America's doctor. Hasn't seen a patient 
since 1967, but he's America's doctor. Uh, and even though he hasn't seen a patient, he's apparently successfully killed millions of them around the world. Most interesting, most interesting. Uh, the, the right, of course, is largely incompetent when it comes to framing of the issues. Rand Paul isn't. Rand Paul isn't. Uh, and I hope he makes this stick. And in fact, uh, I'm uh, maybe we'll uh, interview him about this um, the next time where uh, I'm on uh, Fox News primetime or what uh, or whatever. Um, uh, uh, Patty writes. Was I naive back in the 80s when I thought Reagan was a true believer in individual liberty and less government? We saw his fatal mistake as choosing Bush for vice president and thought he was duped on amnesty legislation. I just received an email from the Reagan Foundation, immediately unsubscribed, touting upcoming speakers to include confirmed uh, speakers, U.S. Senator Susan M. Collins from Maine. Oh, she's a scintillating speaker. I tell you right there, it's something to do with the politics. She's just a cracker, isn't she? She is so charismatic. I would, I would, if you said to me, oh, a black tie dinner with the keynote speaker, Susan Collins of Maine. Oh, yes, certainly. Who wouldn't want to pay uh, five grand for the top table on that? Okay, it gets better. Susan Collins, Governor Asa Hutchinson from Arkansas, every transitioning track athlete's best friend, rock-ribbed conservative, and he's going along with uh, with with the uh, six foot two ladies track competitors, thighs like tugboats, pert budding breasts, faint touch of five o'clock shadow, and Governor Hutchinson is hot for them. So, yeah, I want to hear that too. Governor Larry Hogan, Maryland, former U.S. Secretary of Education, Arne Duncan, and Chris Christie, among others. Was Reagan a rhino when all is said and done, or is the foundation in his name being run by the likes of Ron Jr. and Patty Davis? Look, you should never hold a foundation... Uh, you should never hold a guy accountable for what his foundation does 20 years after it, because all the foundations in America are not doing anything like, in fact, the companies, you know, do you think, do you think Uncle Walt would approve of, uh, of, of what Disney's doing now? Um, Reagan, Reagan was a more in, what's bad about this is that Susan Collins has nothing to say about anything. Asa Hutchinson is a pathetic figure. He's uh, with his uh, tranny fetishization. He's got nothing interesting to say about anything. None of these people have. If this is the best... Why do you need a Reagan Foundation to put up establishment bores? I mean, this is the classic Reagan thing. I'm from the government and we're here to help. You should flee in terror if this is the speaker's list from the Reagan Foundation. Uh, I'd be interested to know what the Butch the Butch Boys on the talk radio with the Eye of the Tiger Sideways show themes, what they have to say about this. But basically, uh, it's unfair to Reagan. Reagan was someone... Reagan said a lot of important things. He's about the Cold War. You know, the famous thing where he asked someone about the Cold War and got one of these blah, 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 and, he, and uh, Reagan replied, how about this? Uh, we win and they lose. Reagan was very clear-sighted. He'd thought about a lot of these things and written about a lot of these things and spoke about a lot of these things long before he, he ran for office. 
He also, uh, I think, lived at a time when the um, there were, he believed in a good faith left and a good faith right. And so the idea that uh, he would get, he expected the, 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 where he was duped and where you can criticize him is on the amnesty legislation. And it's about to happen again. They're, they're, they're going to roll it through one way or the other as part of reconciliation or whatever, because again, the, the systems don't work. The system, don't wave that constitution at me, because don't you dare. Because none of those guys who wrote that constitution would recognise something as unparliamentary as ramming through amnesty for millions of illegal aliens as part of a so-called reconciliation bill. Nothing to do. Don't you wave that constitution at me. Nothing to do with the constitution. We're in a post-constitutional order. Reagan's thing, of course, was the basic... What, what bipartisan deals mean on this? Bipartisan deals, right? Bipartisan, oh, I'd like to reach across. Oh, there's Susan Collins. Her hand is twitching, anxious to reach across the aisle. There's, oh, there's Mitt. There's Mitt. Look, Mitt's little mitten is, uh, is twitching. It's anxious to reach across the aisle. All the reach across the aisle deals, all of them, boil down to this. The left gets something concrete now, the right gets the promise of something in the future and the something in the future never happens and the concrete thing the left has been promised does happen. And that was true with Reagan's deal in the... Oh, we're going to get, we're gonna get uh, amnesty for the left and immigration enforcement for the right. And which one of those things happened, boys and girls? Because that's just the way it is. Um, Barbara Yunker writes, Hello, Mark. What are your thoughts about the current categories of forbidden words, such as mother and father and breastfeeding as opposed to chest feeding? I heard a new one for me used on a television ad, a person who menstruates. Sincerely, a person who used to menstruate, Barbara Yunker. Well, to come up to, uh, to go back to something, I think someone uh, said this in the comments thread uh, the other day. And did I fish it out, or was it on our last Q and A or something? Because I thought it was a very good point. You know, I'm not a I'm not a feminist. I'm I take an uh, old fashioned view of the ladies. Uh, and um, you know, if I were a feminist, though, I'd be hopping mad about this because it's actually the demolition, bit by bit, of uh, women and womanhood. What it means to be a woman, so that now anybody can be a woman, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter. We, we've also created there's a there's a piece I wrote. Uh, whatever it was, four or five years ago now, I think about Caitlyn Jenner, uh, based on the headline in the New York Post, Caitlyn Jenner still has her penis. And I was fascinated by this phrase, her penis. Her penis. Female pronouns and male genitalia. Female pronouns, uh, or, or, or what we're now expected to call external genitalia. External. Because anyone can have a penis. Most of the women... Certainly most of the uh, young women working, walking around now have penises. There's still a few. If you're old-fashioned enough to like a woman without a penis, I think there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in 
uh, rural New Hampshire, I think there's uh, still seven or eight women without penises if you look hither and yon in the White Mountains. But, you know, basically her penis from Caitlyn Jenner has become accepted. And I wrote about this at the time, that this isn't... We used to talk about sex changes, which at least implies that there are two sexes, man and woman. And uh, the man decides he wants to be a woman, so he has what we used to call a sex change. Now, what what we're seeing, as uh, and I wrote about it, I think I... Yeah, OK. I know somebody said the other day they're a bit tired of me going, as I said, five years ago, as I said, ten years ago. But I think I called this one because this was before Facebook and its 57 genders. I actually said we're, we're inventing... We're not actually having people who... Men who think they're women, women who think they're men. We're actually having people inventing entirely new identities now and that necessarily comes with the abolition of old identities uh, as Barbara says such as mother and father and breastfeeding and this stupid pregnant man emoji so we're supposed to have the pregnant man isn't even a thing I think there's been like three of them on the planet these and the pregnant man is a woman who decides he's a man like uh, Chaz Bono uh, and uh, and particularly with women who become men, it's actually very hard to construct a penis. It's not worth the effort. As, as these sex change guys used to say 30, 40, 50 years ago, it's easier to make a hole than a pole. That was the basic line on... And that's why 90% of the sex changes till recently were... Uh, men becoming women because it's very hard to do it the other way around but even so so most people you keep all your your lady parts um and uh, and in the vast tide of people now uh, of women now becoming men uh, there's been three i think it is who uh, claim to be pregnant men so why are they making just to be serious about what we were talk, Tucker and I were talking about the other night. Why are they making a thing of the pregnant man? Because it's a means to do down the pregnant woman. It's a way to diminish one of the essences of the female sex, which is that you carry the baby to term. Now anybody could carry the baby to term. I mean, I'm talking pretty cockily and confidently about it, but I could be a pregnant man and not even know it, you know? And it's something, you know, I might not I might not even realise because I'm a bit out of shape, so, you know, I've got a drinking a bit of beer and uh, I may not notice uh, that the swell of my profile is uh, is not due to the beer, but because I'm actually enceinte. I'm with child. Uh, and I might not even know it until tomorrow, uh, late in the evening, and I'm on my way to do a television thing, and my waters break. It's a way of... Uh, now, nobody cares if you diminish man, because you don't need to diminish man. He's a pathetic figure. He's in, as I said the other day, he's in the man cave, drinking his insipid Bud Light and watching crap corporate sports in which uh, woke gazillionaires insult his flag and national anthem. Uh, that's what it means to be a man in our society. So if you diminish men and the essence of men, there's no point because that's already been done. Men are over. But women, feminism, your hard-fought victories 
from merely the day before yesterday, and you're letting it all go uh, in pursuit of a fiction, a fiction. You're letting the essence of womanhood, of female identity in every particular, be destroyed. And very few people, except J.K. Rowling uh, and one or two others, uh, are, are actually saying anything remotely interesting about it. Um, and it's it's one of the most pathetic. I think I don't want to just. This is why I always say the most important thing is to live in truth and to live in truth in every aspect of your life. And in political terms, it doesn't mean the president. You know, as as we're seeing at the moment, there's no president in America and doesn't seem to make any difference. The left is still able to advance its in, agenda even in to the void where the head of state and government should be. So it's not about the big guys. You, you, you live in truth at the smallest thing. That's what all, this school board movement is all about, the critical race theory thing, pushing back at the lowest levels of government and, and actually uh, clobbering those people before the twerp uh, advancing critical race theory on the school board becomes a county commissioner uh, and then he becomes a state rep uh, and then he decides to be a lieutenant governor, and then next thing you know, he's running for president. So you start talking about these things at absolutely the lowest level. But at some point, you know, if feminists won't defend the demo... This is why when... I think someone asked a question about the wokeness. What's the thing? It's all about power, you know. So the gays can get into bed with the Muslims uh, as uh, all part of the Rainbow Coalition of the left. Um, at some point, one side's going to win that fight. Likewise, the feminists can get into bed with the, the trans activists and the Rainbow Coalition of the left. But as we're already seeing, one side is winning that fight. It is six past the hour, and this is The Mark Stein Show. Mark Stein's Last Call. Lawrence Seymour Goodman was born in West London in 1920 and was just a few weeks shy of his 19th birthday when the Second World War began. He joined the Royal Air Force Volunteer Reserve and then, as part of the spectacularly ambitious British Commonwealth Air Training Plan, found himself at Carberry, Manitoba. Uh, I drove through there a few years ago. As I recall, the base is now a frozen food plant. But uh, Benny Goodman as the Canucks called him, got his flying badge and eventually set off back to Blighty on a New Zealand ship carrying women, children and troops. A U-boat torpedoed the escorting destroyer and Goodman's ship took a hit and was badly holed. Nevertheless, he made it and wound up as a flight lieutenant at Bomber Command and eventually 617 Squadron, the Dam Busters who were charged with a single duty to inflict catastrophic damage on Germany's industrial heartland by targeting its dams with a much higher precision than RAF bomber crews had ever been able to manage. Barnes Wallace, brilliant man, worked for Vickers, 
Uh, Barnes-Wallace had invented a bouncing bomb, but to achieve maximum effect, it required superb human coordination. Uh, Air Vice Marshal Sir Ralph Cochrane selected novice crews from the RAF, the Royal Canadian Air Force, the Royal Australian Air Force and the Royal New Zealand Air Force, whom he had judged a little above average. And Flight Lieutenant Goodman made the cut, even though he was the only pilot without any real operational experience. He'd mainly been training other young pilots in Kingston, Ontario. 617 was skilled, daring work and the best kind of warfare, uh, marrying uh, technological creativity and innovation with heroic men operating at the furthest reaches of their capabilities. Barnes-Wallace was really making do with his uh, 12,000-pound tall boy bouncing bomb. He'd originally wanted something twice as heavy, but the Lancaster bombers couldn't carry them. Yet. Yet. Uh, but the following year, Flight Lieutenant Goodman loaded up with a 22,000-pound Grand Slam deep penetration bomb and on March the 19th, 1945, scored a direct hit on the Arnsberg Railway Viaduct. His last raid of the war was a daring mission to destroy Hitler's so-called eagle's nest on a rocky outcrop of the Kelstein Mountain, uh, high above Bechtesgaden near the Austrian border. That one didn't quite come off, but enough of the other ones did. Lawrence Goodman retired from the RAF as squadron leader in 1964, but he kept flying his Piper Comanche into his 90s as one by one all his comrades from 617 Squadron, English, Scottish, Canadian, Australian, all his comrades save one gunner took off into the sunset. On Sunday, he rejoined their company, dead at the age of 100, Lawrence Seymour Goodman, the last pilot dambuster.
in memory of Flight Lieutenant Goodman, the unforgettable theme music from the fine film they made about the Dam Busters. Uh, it wasn't just that they could make good war movies in those days, they could also make good music for going to war too, and that music has become inextricably linked with the bombs falling on dams in the German industrial heartland. The Royal Liverpool Philharmonic, conducted by Sir Charles Groves and Eric Coates's magnificent Dam Busters March. I have a, a huge respect for Eric Coates. There's one little thing. Uh, Arrangement-wise, he's got two brilliant themes there. He was, like, trying to write an... Edward Elgar-type march, uh, like Pomp and Circumstance, and he did a brilliant job. Uh, there's just one little change I'd have made in the arrangement that I always, I always think about, uh, um, but I'll, uh, I'll save that uh, for another day. Thank you for all your questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them. We never do, uh, and we will try and save some of them and use them in later programs, and I, I thank you for your contributions, and I do read them all. I'll see you on the telly tonight with Tucker. And I'll be back right here afterwards with tonight's instalment of our current tale for our time, uh, Jack London's Burning Daylight, set in Alaska but headed to San Francisco. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.